You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. How are we doing, Vince? I was checking to make sure we were... I didn't see the live alert go up, so I was checking to... Uh, and there we are. We're live. I'm good. I'm fantastic. Uh, I'm Vince Orlando, Human Condition. Sean Davis. Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. How you been? I'm doing all right. Yeah. yeah I'm... Uh, I'm just getting back to reality. Yeah, you know, it's been a minute. Integrating back into to America, American life, uh, petty complaints, things that that you know we let bog ourselves yeah, down. Road rage. Yeah, you know I'm I'm <laughs> I'm reintegrating back. You know what? There was a lot of construction in Poland too, so I, I think it's an epidemic worldwide. But but yeah, I'm I'm rejuvenated and um, I'm good. I'm real good. That's why I, I thought it it might be cool to talk about something that's that's fun. It's also heavy, yeah. But psychedelics and spirituality outside the getting outside our uh, the usual. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're stepping into, and that's okay. That that's good. I think that's good to mix it up, and and it's still along the path of spirituality and wellness. It depends on on how you look at it, right? Um, the the fact the fact that. A drug like alcohol is legal, accepted, uh, socially acceptable. The fact that that's legal and psychedelics have been banned for quite some time. Nobody's doing mushrooms and driving. Well, they shouldn't be anyway. Mushrooms and driving and killing people, getting into bar fights. I, I'm, I'm excited to see that places like Colorado, for example, are, are starting to see the benefits of psilocybin and they're they're – they're pushing back on these laws that see. And again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. We talk about this frequently, right. but there's something to the fact that drugs, quote unquote, that that set you on a path of discovery that make you, that, that pierces the veil of reality and 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 drives you to want to know more at a deeper level. The fact that that would be outlawed blows my mind. It, it does. It completely blows my mind because my experiences with psychedelics and it's changed over time. The more spiritual I got, the more I started to understand the benefits of psychedelics because when I was younger doing ketamine in the club, well, oh, look, I don't have any legs or acid, oh, you know what yeah. I mean? Or, or whatever it was or mescaline, uh, whatever it was, it was cool and there were some things happening that – in my older years, I, I could go back and say, "Oh, the veil, the veil had dropped. I was open to new experience. I, I can go back and I can look at those experiences and and say that I felt something. But at the time, it was just cool. And and you know, n- now, now I can truly, and this is experiential, right? But I think medical medical science is backing this up also that there's some true benefits." To the the drugs that we call psychedelics, in enhancing spirituality, we we know that psychologically they're beneficial. We know that we, and they're testing them now. They're allowing them. My friend just got prescribed ketamine out in L.A. for you know he's he's been addicted to uh, to Xanax for a long time. Nothing else. He's not he, no addictive personality in the guy. Just when he moved out to L.A., he was prescribed Xanax. Took him on the daily as prescribed and hasn't been able to get off him since. Yeah. So I'm throwing a disclaimer out there for all those that are in recovery and not. And just to do your research about this stuff, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different stuff going on right now with research and microdosing and uh you know Colorado Denver legalized mushrooms uh University of Michigan is doing research on psilocybin to treat depression and different forms of mental illness uh University of California at Davis David Olson is over there um, doing research on uh, using DMT, microdosing DMT to get rid of uh, mental illness and uh, different forms of um, 
depression. Honestly, I'm not surprised. You know, I'm not surprised that this is being used to treat depression. I think a lot of us are living a life where it's not fitting into our authentic, genuine, spiritual self. I'm living a life of mass confusion, nine to five, pay bills, you know, get the kids to school, go to work, come home, you know, this rapid society and reality um, is going to cause a lot of depression and uh, a lot of anxiety. Else, yeah, if nothing else, confusion and anxiety. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, Big Pharma is real good, I mean, at pushing pills, and that's what they do. And they have the doctors and the government behind them to help them push pills. And, you know, psychedelics have been used for long, hundreds of years, hundreds of years. Go back to ancient Egypt, the Aztecs. I mean, it's pretty prevalent in their spiritual teachings. And, you know, the government... Is all we then big pharma going to find a way to capitalize on this? Just like they're trying to do it with the weed industry, but um, I, better. I don't. If you ever look at like the United States and how things, the the progressive is always out west. You know, if you go to treatment centers in New Mexico, Colorado, Washington, Portland, and even Canada, they're all using psilocybin in some form to treat depression. You know, they're all microdosing out there. Um, if you looked at when, when weed became legal, California was the oh, first yeah. state to do it. <laughs> and then it was Oregon, Washington, Colorado. And then it was like almost five years before any state east of the Mississippi um, decided to make it legal. Um, Eventually of, it gets back to the blue blood politicians. Yeah, I mean, it, it all is going to stem from government and, you know, restricting rights and stuff. But I I got to believe and, you know, I, I want to own my own health. You know what I mean? I don't need a shit ton of Seroquel and Depakote and lithium and the 200 other antidepressants that doctors can script you out for and, you know, oh, well, that combination's not working, Vince. Let's, let's try, try some let's, more. Let's mix it up. Let's try this one. Give it let's 30 days to let one. your body adjust. And, you know, and I'm not saying go out and take mushrooms. I'm saying that I can't necessarily say that my healing is going to be in a pill. It's not, it's not in a pill. Now you can subdue your symptoms, right? Uh, they're they're good at that, subduing symptoms. And as long as you stay on the medication, and this is a disclaimer. Also, nobody in this room is is saying don't follow your doctor. No one orders. here is a doctor, right? It's uh, this. This is all experiential, and, and no, but this I know opinion based, absolutely experiential. <laughs> because I can go into, I can go into my so. If I talk about when the aha moment, the come to Jesus moment, that the thing that spun my life in a completely different direction, there were three elements. There was the birth of my son, which rattled me. There was ketamine and quantum physics. Those three things combined, because I, I wasn't a God person, right? For right. a very long time, I, I, my idea of organized religion was horseshit. And there's no guy in the clouds judging me. That's not all loving. That's not all powerful. That's judgmental. That's human. So I, I don't need that. I And I really didn't care about the consequences of my belief. And it wasn't that there was – I was completely agnostic. I just didn't care. And even now, I, I don't care. I, I mean, I, I, I feel something and I'm with that and I believe in a source. I don't feel the need to define it whatsoever. That's my ego that would like to define it. And it's of no consequence to me if it is because I'm going to be good regardless. And right. I'm also going to embrace my flaws and know that I'm human and fallible and – but – 
So my idea of God, it, it was just completely agnostic, and the mention of God or church spun me in a direction, to, in, in a big fuck you direction. Okay, well, let me – it was real – I don't want to say I was nihilistic, but when it came to organized religion, I just had a problem with it. So I wasn't seeking God at all. I wasn't seeking to be better because my ego had me convinced I was a big control freak. And in retrospect, that's because I, I needed to control things or I needed the perception of control because I was so fucking scared to just live, right? I, I was so afraid of being abandoned, so afraid of my ego being diminished. That's all I had was this image I had created for myself. So I was extremely controlling. I was very good at arguing, intelligent enough to you know make somebody look stupid even when I was wrong. So I wasn't seeking to better myself. But my son was born, and then I got rattled. I'd never felt this unconditional love. Didn't know what the hell was going on. It was trauma in a very good way. So I'm going through probably the first six, seven months of him being born, and I still haven't completely adapted to the fact that this little person relies on me for everything. I know I'm a father, but it hasn't resonated. And unlike a woman who carries a child for nine right. months and goes through that experience, I'm I'm going through these changes and I come, you know, the the biological father I had, extremely abusive, abandoned, you know, all these things. That that was my that was my early idea of what a father was. You know, so that changed later with my stepfather, but so it rattled me. Now I had a choice. I could have run from that experience, which I believe my father did. It was too scary. So get the fuck out of there because this unconditional love thing, it's not real. Whoever this little person is can level you with a look, you know, it, so it's scary. So somehow, and it was through, I was still very much a part of the club scene, right? It's still very much a part of the West Coast shit and, and ketamine was a thing. And I remember doing ketamine, not not looking for anything, but it was just one night uh, and I was by myself and I was doing it. I, I had this uh, – I read a book called Ketamine Dreams and Realities written by a doctor and they had been testing ketamine overseas for years and years and years, pulling people through chronic pain disorders and addiction and they would put people in five-day ketamine comas. It, it was crazy the things I was reading them. And I, I tried a psychedelic dose. I did it exactly the way that it said. And, and I remember just leaving my body, going through this light. Going, it, it, anybody who's done it, I, I was in that space, right? Nothing like DMT, which we'll get to later. But it, it, was, a, it was an experience that it, my, conch, my five senses were gone. And, and it makes sense. It's a disassociative anesthetic. So it takes you away from your senses. So all I had to exist in was pure consciousness. So it was what I figured out that it was, was medically induced meditation. I didn't know how to slow down my thoughts. I had no idea, but this did it for me, and it took me to a place of transcendental meditation. How long did it last? Well, it lasted – see, the thing with ketamine is that it, it carries with you. Now, you, the the whole going through the tunnel, seeing the different shapes and things like that, that's real quick. And it could be a minute could last 20 minutes there's no concept of time and i never really timed it so like if you was to say you was tripping on ketamine how long did how long did the whole thing last i kept it going for six months i kept every day one dose or you was just dosing no, i would i would dose day? i would dose and i remember i could function on it and I, I remember seeing people's auras and and i couldn't stop reading books on uh quantum physics but right. like everything just made sense to me I'm not recommending this for anybody <laughs> at all, but and, and there was a downside to it too because I did this without any kind of guidance except a book that I read. It was my own ego and my belief that I was extremely intelligent and I could handle the the information that was given to me, but I remember things coming back from my past. I didn't even know they existed. This did more for me than any therapist was ever able to do in, in, as it pertains to breaking down walls. So all these things are coming back, and I didn't know what to do with them. I wasn't really a big study on meditation. I understood what it was. But my belief at the time, and because I had access to an unlimited supply of this stuff, I just wanted to keep going back to it. So I got into a – it became habitual to where eventually I had to break that. But I kept going back to it. Were you addicted? Uh, you know, I, I would say for that period of time, it was something that – I don't know. The, see, it's not – 
there's no physical thing to it because I when know. it's done, it's done. But psychologically, the escape is always the escape. But I, that's the thing, though. That's the weird thing is I, I think towards the end it got to be escapism. But I was really running towards something that I didn't know how to access on this side, and that, it's access, funny. Accessing it on this side is hard, extremely know? difficult. Even now, and I, I, you know, and I know, we know how to get there. But getting to the place that that automatically took me, it's not impossible. I get there, you know, sometimes in the float tank. But uh, if my instincts are good, I'll kick in the water and, and all of a sudden I'm out of it. And I'm like, oh, that was scary. You know, I, you know, I haven't done any hallucinogens since 2001. I think the last time I uh, I took some liquid acid and, you know, I was living in royal oak and there was a bunch of us at this house and i remember they were watching meet joe black <laughs> and uh the first scene where he gets hit by the car yeah like i just started laughing hysterically and i couldn't stop laughing for like 20 minutes and i can't say there was anything very spiritual about that particular time but i i did a lot of hallucinogens in high school which you know we all a lot of us do and probably did too much here and there. And then I moved out to Colorado. And I really, I used psilocybin and I used acid to just get in tune with uh, a lot of spirituality type stuff. And a lot of, break away a lot of things that society has molded me to believe which is absolute bullshit like i needed something to help me break these things a lot of them were beliefs a lot of them were um just the idea when people believe that their value on the earth is more than another human beings right. and all that judgmental shit you know I used hallucinogens to like break a lot of that. And I was young at the time. I was probably like 19, 20, 21. And, you know, Terrence McKenna was around Colorado where I was at when I was living there. And like, you know, being around him and being around, you know, a lot of his students and stuff, he was always, he was always at Naropa in Boulder. And their whole thing was, to understand what hallucinogenics do mm -hmm. and are and how to change the reality that you live in, not through just tripping, but that you're not going to be able to see what the conscious mind sees and the subconscious mind all the time. And to have the breakthroughs that you need, you know, Terrence was always like he he always was a big fan of like microdosing and stuff but he always believed like in a major reset and the major reset was you know 4 grams of psilocybin and go trip hard yeah. get the reset that you need to do what you got to do come back and you're reset you know he was a big believer of DMT and a lot of different other things um and the the molecules of the hallucinogenics and stuff and the breakthroughs he thought were way f more beneficial for the spiritual being inside of us to help us connect on a different level and and, and in different dimensions I you know, agree. like like I can see other dimensions of myself and what I'm connecting with on different levels through the use of hallucinogenics. And that's that's the key thing is that so I was still very much in my ego, still very much controlled by my ego. The ego still exists, right? I'm I'll, I'll be dualistic until the day I die. I, and, and I'll hit these peak experiences to where I, I get to sit in the space of nirvana of oneness and actually feel it and inhabit it. But then I'm going to come back to my 
my physical self. When I had the ketamine experience, I was still very much controlled by the ego. So the ego has this belief in science, and I still believe in I'm not saying I don't believe in science, but medical science. And I was convinced that I couldn't slow my thoughts down. I didn't believe that meditation could actually get me there. So I would continue to go back to the ketamine. And I just just didn't want to deal with the information that I had been given. When the breakthroughs happened, I really didn't know how to cope with what I had been shown. You didn't journal or nothing? Oh, I journaled, yeah. I, but, it, it, you know, I was confused. Like, it was so much at once yeah. that I – so I just really – like, quantum physics was almost addictive to me too. So I just kept reading and reading. I remember one night I read a Michio Kaku book three times over, and then I, I would sleep with uh, the secret on loop or what the bleep. You know, that's what I was exposed to back at the time. But You smoking weed too when you were doing this? No, it was just that. It was just me, ketamine? Just me and ketamine, quantum physics, and, and my son. You know, and, and so the difference, you have to be real intentional about what what you would yeah. like to derive setting, from. Setting an intention before you do this is a spiritual part of what or, you're doing. Or else you get confused after yeah. the fact because it's not so much the substance, right? It's what it provides for you. So years later when I went, when I did, uh, it's called Changa. It's uh, it's uh, herb-infused ayahuasca. And it lasts a little bit longer than just the DMT crystals when you smoke it. Intense, man. Intense. And when I did it, extremely spiritual, right? And I, I, I was looking to gain something from the experience. And what I realized in the DMT experience that because of where I, I had grown spiritually in my physical self that I didn't realize back then is that really the only thing it did is that it exposed the other side. So the, the DMT experience was probably more real than anything I've ever experienced here on the physical plane, except for the unconditional love that I feel for my children. That's the only thing I can compare it to. And once you have that knowledge, you can't go back. So with DMT, after I experienced it, there's really no reason to do it again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I sat in the space and I, I remember seeing you know, the tree of life that we see all the time, those geometric patterns. I was pulsating. I was one with that tree of life. And I remember going in and out, in and out, in and out and uh, scared the shit out of me when I started to come back into my body. So I, I remember t I was with my cousin and I started talking to my cousin and it was me talking, but I wasn't in my body yet. So I'm I'm just mimicking what it, it felt like to be just this consciousness kind of looking around to see where the voice is coming from. And then it, it was weird, not scary. It, it was so peaceful and beautiful. And my cousin, he's, you know, he's an ex gangbanger, tattoos on his neck. He's laughing like a child right next to me because he had just went to this space too, but he's also on a spiritual path. And then uh, I remember reaching, you know, going like this and, and it's like somebody's arms were reaching around me. I wasn't. And then Adam by Adam, I started feeling myself coming back into the body. And uh, me and him looked at each other. I'm like, let's go watch some Joe Rogan, you know, talk about some. And uh, so we went and watched this this one episode where he's talking to a I can't remember the bodybuilder's name, but how he went spiritual and how he, he learned to when he would start coming out of the deep, deep part of the DMT trip, he would uh, he would start doing meditative breathing. So I was like, let's go try that. So went back in and then sure enough, as you start feeling yourself inhabit your body again, I would do the meditative breathing. Then I, I could teleport into what I what felt like a cliff that I was sitting on, but I wasn't really sitting because there was no body. I was just engulfed in this light. And it was such a real thing, more real than this. Like I, I had pierced through the lie and I think that's what psychedelics do. And if if therapists are allowed to use it in a helpful way. If you can get somebody to that breakthrough to where you, I can't deny that. How much DMT did you smoke? Wasn't much. Wasn't much, man. It was one uh, hit, two hit or like two, two hits. And then went back in two two more. It took two hits, went to that space and it was immediate. There, like, There's no stopping it either. So once you do it, there's no stopping it. You're in it. And then you're, you're a lot. You got to go for the ride. I and, talked to a couple people there like, it's like a 10-minute trip, but it's like – it feels like hours. It's timeless. You know what I mean? It's, it's timeless. Time dissipates. The physical reality dissipates. And if 
and if somebody seeking help can feel that, yeah. you you come out of it and you just know that what the fuck am I so afraid of? You know, it, it, you feel this thing we say as God, you, me, and again, I'm I'm on that path, right? So so I may be biased in my experience. But it connects to so many other people's experience that talk about it in a deep way. Now, I do think that had I done it 10 years prior, it might have just been fun. Like, oh, man, that was trippy. You know what I mean? And, oh, man, I I was going back into my body. I don't think I would have thought about it the same way when I came back into the physical realm, right? I've talked to a lot of people that have done DMT, and a lot of the experiences vary. You know, some talk about the breakthrough and breaking through and talking to different entities and stuff and all sorts of different kinds of experiences while doing it. But they all say it's pretty wild, you know. And I think I've been broke through for a long time. I think what this allowed for me, so we read about it, right? I write about it all the time. I've experienced it lightly with ketamine. But the DMT thing, what it, it in the space that I inhabit now, the DMT thing, it allowed me. I can't deny it. I think there's the the subconscious doubt in us that there yeah. there it's it you know because we're we're taught that the physical realm is it and you live you die and and so that's still very much buried in the amygdala, along with all the other garbage. So I think subconsciously. The part, there's parts of me that want to deny that, not consciously. Consciously, I believe it. What this allowed for was for me to sit in that space and to come back to, to this space and know that it's the truth. And I think that's what the Buddhist monks have on lock when they sit up in the, the mountains of Tibet and they, they meditate for 10 hours a day and, and, and they talk about this space of nirvana. I think that's what they have on lock. And then when you come back from that to this space – all you want to do is bring it back with you. How how can I how can I implement this into doesn't my daily life? Doesn't work that way though. No, it doesn't. Not supposed to. Well, I, I think I think not, you can. Not, not in America. Well, I'm not. I'm not even. Ta- I'm just talking about what it gave me is an individual sense of responsibility. In that, not that I could change or affect anybody else, but that I could definitely change this in the way that I respond to to things that happen outside of me, that has to change. Like that's kind of what I came back with is I, I, I just went out to Auschwitz, right? Right, right. And uh, so that, that, that was heavy. It, it was heavy with the kids and to stand in that space where that type of horror, and that's not to say it happens here too in America and bits and pieces and seems more prevalent now than it's ever been. But to stand in that space where Victor Frankl was and then came out and wrote Man's Search for Meaning and invented logotherapy. Coming back to the place where traffic is a problem, it's a genuine problem for us yeah. and we get pissed. And I go back to all the – and it's not only psychedelic. I've, I've been – I've been in therapy for years and years and years and years and years, and I've been working hard trying to just trying to get it right in whatever way that is. But it really brought me back to those psychedelic experiences to where it's it's like, why if I know that this is the truth, why am I not acting like it? Why does traffic still get to me? Why why do I catch because myself motherfucking? It's the day to the day grind, and, and I get it. And I know like, I can't be just tripping all the time. You know, when I lived in Colorado. I thought, it, like, I would I would go up to Chautauqua Park. Like, I would take a couple hits of, like, some Grateful Dead white on white. And I would take I don't my little know what that is. acid. Is that what know, it is? And yeah. I would go walk up to Chautauqua Park, go, like, for a little hike around the mountains. And then I would just look at the stars. And I would look at the stars for hours. And I would just let my mind do what my mind does. Just go as far out as you want to and it was incredibly peaceful you know just a real chill time and i would do this a lot like these ski bums sold me a couple books of this shit right when i got to colorado 
And uh, they were letting it go for like a super great deal because, you know, they work at Breckenridge and they need money. And, <laughs> you know, so, the, you know, typical hippie dudes. And I was like, shit, well, fuck, why not, you know? And a lot of the, it was interesting because when I was using psychedelics more often, uh, my alcoholism wasn't as bad, you know? And like a lot of my behavior, a lot of my criminal behavior was modified. It was a lot lower. I started to like the, the one love. Yeah. You started to give a shit. Yeah. Ideology, you know, came into play and, and that we're all connected and that everyone on the planet has has a purpose. Yeah. But the thing is, when I'm constantly around people who are grinding in their day-to-day life. And that's what it is. That's life. That's that's what it's supposed to be. That don't give a shit, that are only concerned about themselves and where I got to be in 5 or 10 or 15 minutes. Get the fuck out of my way. You're in my way. You know, cut lines at the grocery store and do the rest of the shit and bitch about everything. When I see that. Like, I have more empathy for them because they're in the grind, but there's still a piece of me that is like, motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. Or like, (laughs) someone needs to put some fucking LSD in their drink, you know? Like, (laughs) you know what? You never know. You know, I'm not saying anything, but um, it just, it, it, it's a struggle to watch people struggling. It is. You know? And I'm not saying that I don't struggle. Um, tell you the truth, I just the struggle isn't real. It feels only, real. It does feel yeah. real. It's only real if you give it power. power. Right, right. People want to give it power because their ego wants everyone else to look how much I'm grinding. Look how hard I'm struggling. Look at what I'm overcoming. Look at me, look at me. When in reality, if you don't give any of that power, if you don't give the struggle power, if you're not seeking attention for your overcoming circumstances and you are just doing it. Or being a victim. Right. You are just doing it. And you don't have to let everyone know what you're doing. But your success will come quicker. Your momentum will be faster your God flow will work more with you when you stop letting everyone else know what your struggle is, what you're grinding, how many jobs you got, all that, all the things that define you, all the culture that you allow yourself to define you, all those things hold you back. I they, just, they are spiritual blocks. I can, I can say with the psychedelic experience at psychedelic doses and ketamine, that's the first time I remember, and, and it, it does induce an out-of-body experience. Absolutely induces out-of-body experiences on multiple occasions. I've had, I've had them also almost dying, but still n- nothing as beautiful as when I intentionally went there, you know, but, but the one thing that, that, you can't deny is that feeling of oneness that you were talking about that all the labels dissipate immediately and i i remember stepping i was looking at myself I was looking at myself standing at the the uh, kitchen table next to my son's high chair i believe he was taking a nap at the time and uh and i remember stepping outside of my body and and i just saying you're an asshole and it wasn't in a mean way either. But after that, I really, and, and it's not so much the experience itself, it's what you take out into the world from it. So, what I took out into the world from that was I need to evaluate myself. Now, in retrospect, had therapists from the time I was in group camps from 15 years old been trying to teach me that that's what I needed to do? Absolutely. And now the things that they were saying in terms of therapy, they started to make sense. Oh, I am controlling. Oh, I am codependent. And that didn't all flood in immediately. I was still very resistant to the fact that I was that flawed. But 
it started it. It started the chain reaction. Yeah. And I could have very – and I often did run back to the ketamine experience because because it was beautiful there. And out here it was all work, right? You know what I mean? You ever notice like when you are in the world, you can just tell people – you can tell who people that work on themselves are. You can I, you now, know? especially. You're yeah. The like, I mean, it. It, it, yeah, exactly. Like you can tell who works on themselves mm-hmm. and tries to better themselves than other people who just don't give a shit and is going to roll with it. And like takes co- a five minute conversation. Yeah, yeah. Usually just, you, you know, you, you know? know that they don't give a shit about anything, codependency, whatever, whatever the problem is, they just don't, one track mind. Yeah. And it's all about me. Yeah. And my control. And what can I get? Because my selfishness and self seeking is the root of who I am. Yeah. You know what's funny is is I would catch myself get because you can tell. And I'm my radar is good now for that. And it's oh, yeah, not it's even like intention. But I I know. But I got tricked a couple times. Like oh, you they're, always they're, get tricked. And ex-girlfriends, they they were great salespeople. They would see the things I posted, see you know what I was striving for to be better, and they would speak that language. And you know, and and then the ego would kick in and be like, "Well, she's pretty. You know, go ahead and believe that." There's a couple times I got tricked, and and I those were necessary steps for me also to see that you know there's still very much of that ego in there that's that's going to make those bad decisions. But now. Now, it's almost immediate. You, you you just know. You just know if yeah. somebody's selling you a line of bullshit. And then there's some people, like you said, that just don't care. They're they're just in their own head, and they're, that's how they're going to be. All for one, one for all. I'll fuck you over to get what I need and to get what I want, and I really don't care if you get hurt or what whatnot. Well, they don't say that. No, they won't say that, but that's the consciousness that they're operating from. And it, it's it's predominant in American it society. It is very predominant. That's yeah. why I believe that they they have to. With what ketamine did for me, even without a, a physician present, it, it, I read a book. I read a book and I I took it like it said to take it. Lo and behold, the experience was had. If that could be in controlled environments, it would solve so many of the problems because. You were right in saying that, well, there's no – I remember because I, I was still heavy on, on the party scene then. So maybe we should go drop it in the uh, Nestle aquifer that's bottling all that, the water well, I, and just something. Like, but I think you have to know. A couple hundred gallon, you know, like 200 million gallons of fucking ketamine in that shit. I, just, think, I, think the emerg- <laughs> I think the emergency rooms would fill up because people, people would think they were dying because you have that out of – but – Ice Mountain fucked me up. It's true. I mean, now Ice Mountain's getting sued, or it becomes a church. Yeah, yeah. One of the it's it's um. I'm going nonprofit. I I think I think it should be legal. I think it should be controlled. I I I find it real hard to believe with all the studies that have been done that that the government isn't privy to this information. I I I do believe that big pharma I, is behind because what you said was right. There's no desire what I was saying was I, I was still very much a part of the party scene to where it was probably back then in every weekend thing we were going to the club, we were having a party, we were doing something. And that that was gone. I didn't I didn't I didn't want to drink and I didn't drink. Didn't drink anything. Didn't have any desire to go mingle in any superficial relationships. I wanted quantum physics. I wanted to to be connected with my son, and I wanted. To, I just wanted to contemplate. I've never. Have you ever done? Have you ever had a party night where you're just smashed off alcohol and and all you want to do is contemplate the existence of the universe and what your meaning is in it? That's never happened to me. Not on alcohol. Maybe when I was blacked out, but you know. Most indigenous people refer to all of it as medicine, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how they treat it. And the spiritual aspect of all of it is that I, I use the medicine with intention to free me from whatever is ailing me, whether it has it to be, be intentional, you know, some form of anxiety, mental illness, you know, yeah. mental health disorder, 
Um, it could just be for a simple reset. It could be because I've damaged my brain due to alcoholism and an addiction. Fear. That some of my neurons in my brain need to be stimulated again. Mm-hmm. And psilocybin has been known to do that. And it does. And, and, and people are using it to treat depression for recovering addicts and alcoholics. And I'm not saying that people in recovery go out and get some mushrooms and start tripping. No. I'm just saying do the research behind what we're saying and, you know, allow yourself the possibility of, like, less chemical-based life, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I mean, I, th- I think that's the fear of Big Pharma and the government is if the population starts to learn on how they can heal themselves how without powerful doctors, on their own, how much power that they really have and how much power is in the earth that they don't really need us. Like nope. the form of control and the rules of the game, like Terrence said, are going to change. And, and that's the last thing that the government wants is less billions, 300 million people realizing that the game is rigged and that the rules are skewed and now we're no longer playing the game we're going to like turn the table according to your rules they're done let's right. there's going to be a spiritual revolution and i don't i don't know that that spiritual revolution has to be violent that's that's the thing and i i do think that the powers that be if they even think that deeply are scared of that cuz it's really we stop with the consumerism that's that's it I we always, stop consuming the bullshit. I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up. This is great. I always thought the best way to start a revolution is you would have to do it for two economic quarters, but you would have to get people to not buy a fucking thing. Like, be happy with your TV. Be happy with the car you're driving. Like, don't buy any major appliances. And you're going to have to know that that's going to probably hurt some people's jobs and stuff. But to withstand the blow and let – it's like making a statement, you know. You have to allow those in power or whatever you want to call it, what they believe, who really has the power. The people have always had the power, but we're caught in such a systematic nine-to-five in debt society where it's like all I care about is if I got enough left over to go out this weekend. That's not living. That's not living. That's not living. That's indentured servitude. The, the only problem with that is that we're still going to be buying gas, still going to be purchasing electricity. That's why they shut Tesla down, you know. Anybody that comes, all we have access to all this power. We need that revolution. Don't know how that revolution happens, but the consumerism on every angle has to stop. It's exactly what you said, and then some. How do we all get off the grid? And this is the kind of things that that going into the psychedelic experience or the meditative experience. I think recovery is a. Uh, I think that's I. Uh, I think it's a psychedelic experience, you know, it's to to a lighter degree. Spiritual awakening. It's definitely a spiritual awakening, but you have to inhabit that space in order to stay recovered, recovering. You have to stay in that space. Right, and a lot of us get complacent after a while. You know, I mean, Bill W. was using LSD um, for a long part of his recovery to to treat his depression, and they were using it with sponsees and stuff to help them with their depression and to kind of have a catalyst for a spiritual experience or a spiritual awakening. You know, And for the, those who don't know Bill W. Yep. The founder of Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous, co-founder. So, you know, these things have gone back a long time and it's, and it's interesting because I've known people in recovery who have used psilocybin to break through depression and different forms of, isolation, things that they needed. They treated it as medicine. They used it as medicine. But I'll tell you one thing. They'll never say that they fucking did it in the rooms of AA because you'll be outcasted in a minute. You know, Russell Brand, he he speaks real intelligently about this subject. And 
and again, disclaimer, nobody's saying go experience these things, especially if you're an, at the crisis phase of recovery. New in recovery. Right, because Russell Brand, he's 14 years clean, and I love everything that he writes and his perspective. And, and he, you know, I watched an inter- interview with him and Joe Rogan. Yeah. And uh, Joe Rogan asked him, he says, do, well, do you think that that, uh, that could lead you down a path? He said, I do. I do because I'm always looking for an angle. Right. Well, if I'm always I do, looking for an escape. Right. Right. And if if you're looking for that angle, and that is that is the danger, is that if the intention isn't right and you don't have the proper guidance, and you find this space that's beautiful and takes all the problems away, you just want to keep going back to that space, yeah. and that that's not sustainable at, Joe, at all. Joe was kind of like letting him know that it's real hard to get addicted to like DMT. You know, like physically, you're, you're not yeah, going like, to. You're not really going to get addicted to DMT. It's like just too. You only have to do it once. Extreme, right? To be living, you can't on a DMT, <laughs> and your brain right. can only release so much. Right. So at a certain point, it's just I'm just whatever I'm doing is not doing anything. But I, I on the flip side, I understand Russell Brand's fear. And at least yeah, yeah. he was honest with himself because some people won't be, especially in early recovery. Well, we talked about it today in the group. You know, uh, the clinician was like, "I what my fear about psilocybin is is that I'll pick up weed." You Gateway know? kind of thing, yeah, kind like, of thing. Yeah. So for most of us who are in recovery, like that have relapsed, weed was always one of the triggers. You okay. know, I. I relapsed back in 2011. I almost had six years of continuous sobriety. There was a lot of stuff that went on for me to go back out. But my first thing was, and I was growing weed at the time, was I'm going to kick back and I need some relief. That was a big thing. So I started smoking weed, and for a few days it was cool, and I really wasn't like puffing a lot of weed. It was like half a joint when I got home at night and watched South Park and I would giggle a little bit and think it was cool and this is funny. Within two weeks, I was back buying like a fifth of vodka or a fifth of whiskey a day. Just like that. Just like that. Like, yeah. boom. Because the weed hits the same part of the brain that the alcohol does. And I'm always going to go back. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm always going to go back to what I want when <clears throat> those types of substances are put into my system. If I smoke weed, like just you might as well just give me the whiskey. And if you're gonna give me the whiskey, you might as well just like hand me a loaded gun because I'll be dead probably relatively soon. You know, it's really only a, a, by the grace of God that I'm sitting in the chair today. So the clinician was like, "That's what my fear is," um, and I don't relate to that fear because you know you would like I, I was like you would have to plan. Like if you were to like say that this is my intention is to go out into the woods and use the psilocybin as medicine to help me do what I needed to do, like you'd have to do some planning to make sure you brought the weed along and do all that other bullshit. Um, Because most people that I've known in recovery that have done this uh, go out into the woods and it's kind of like you just go out into the woods and handle your business. Mm -hmm. You know, it's you and God time. Right to figure out what's and that's very what intentional. Needs, what the breakthrough yeah. needs to be, I need to look at myself and see what I can't see. Show me something. Yeah, yeah. Like, in, in, pierce in my, the veil. My, pierce the veil. Consistent form. Yeah, you know. And uh, so it was interesting because, like, you know, we, it was a real sensitive subject because all the guys, you know, are in early recovery, and we had a real good conversation about it. And you know, <clears throat> the the. The new wave is, you know, I'll, the guys nowadays, you know, I, I can't speak for women because I don't, I don't really work with any women in early recovery. But like, dudes do not want to be put on anything. Like, do not put me on it's a true. mood stabilizer. I don't need Seroquel. I don't need Depakote. I don't need lithium. I don't need Librium. I don't need any of that shit. I don't need, you know, stay away. Miss me know, with that shit. I'm you know, because it's so. 
the overprescribing of, you know, like some dudes simply have, you know, an anxiety disorder and then they end up with like 10 milligrams of Zyprexa and they can't wake up before noon because they're taking medicine that's really used to treat schizophrenia. And, you know, the there's no there's no balance. When I checked myself into a psych ward, so I hadn't even been diagnosed with PTSD yet. I'm searching. I keep having these breakdowns, and they were sporadically. I, I wasn't. I didn't drink consistently. I didn't abuse myself consistently, but I kept having these breakdowns. And I, so I, I sought out AA. I sought out NA for no reason because it was twelve step. And I said, okay, but I wasn't abusing anything like that. I'm like, well, let me check this out. I was looking for anything that could give me some direction. Finally, it came to a head in uh, 2013, and I checked myself into a psych ward, and. That's the first time I've ever had the patterns in my life explained to me. So he said, no, what you're experiencing are emotional flashbacks. You have PTSD and, and at first is denial. That's bullshit. That's for veterans. I've never been in war. Blah. Well, tell me about your childhood. So we went through the whole thing. No, you you have severe PTSD. And he, he it's the first time it's ever been broke down to me. So he said, well, do you feel depression? I said, no, I, no, I don't. He says, well, you don't seem depressed. I'm like, I'm not. I'm gen genuinely optimistic, and I just have these moments where I collapse. I, I go into – and now I know it's fight, flight, freeze, or collapse. I did one of yeah. the four. Yeah. Brain now state. I know. Brain yeah, state. Now I know. But he, sa he said, okay, well, you don't seem depressed. I'm not. Okay, well, I'm going to write you this, and I'm going to write you this, and uh, we're, we're going to see how that works. And I can't started with an L. I said, "What's this?" He said, "That's an antidepressant." I said, "You just, I'm not depressed. Why are you giving me an antidepressant?" Well, let's just try it. He says to me, "The the guy who's only the, the only person that's spoken let's intelligent. Let's just try it. Let's just try it." And then he gives me this other shit. He said, "That's for the PTSD," and uh, he combines the two. The one was so severe that I had to have my liver levels tested. Yeah. And I'm like, Depico. what the? What? It might have yeah, been a yeah. yeah. I was like, what the fuck? And uh, he said, I said, I don't want to take this stuff. And he said, and I, and I had checked myself in there, you know, checked myself in. He said, well, if you don't want to, if you're going to go against medical advice, we're going to have to take it to the judge. I'm like, take it to the judge. I came here on my own. This was me that he said, well, it's just how it works. And uh, and then we we had a genuine conversation, kind of a wink, wink. Look, if you go out there and you kill yourself or you kill somebody else, and I wasn't a threat of either, but if you do that, we're liable. I have to give you something. I took it. I took it. And the next day, the life was sucked out of me immediately. Like prior to that, I was writing poetry and I was feeling good that I was on a, you know, I felt like I was on a path of discovery and whatever. And then I learned that little bit about myself and, and when the, the drugs kicked in, everything that was me was gone. I was a, so I went in the, it was the next day or the day after and I, and I was taking my doses as they prescribed and, and I went in and I said, I don't like who I am on this. I, I, I don't feel anything like I, I don't want this. I'm sitting on my bed and it made me more depressed. He said, we well, have to take it or else we're going to go in front of this. So I, I wrote out seven days of it and, and I got out and, and I remember uh, I left with my prescription. Those things went straight into the garbage. But that's that's what the bullshit is. You know, I remember saying no. how bad I felt. He said, give it 30 days. Give it 30 days. Your body will adjust. So what the fuck? You want me to addict myself to this stuff? So what's, what's even interesting now is that they're prescribing that shit people younger and younger oh, yeah. and younger yeah, yeah, yeah. now so like most your high schoolers if they have any form of not listening <laughs> not listening or you move too much and you're having seat, too many emotions yeah, you know you stop with that you're affecting the world around you let's go to cvs guys it's we got mommy's got to get your scripts you know and then like you know it, you're already starting the cycle of changing the brain chemistry and Setting them on a path of addiction from indentured servitude. <laughs> I wrote a poem when I was uh, when I was in there called "Land of the Zombies." One one time, <laughs> it was actually pretty good. It's one of one of my more clever and uh, we got really kind of fuck you poems. Like usually, there's at, at the end of most of my stuff, 
my later stuff, it, it, there's there's a silver lining. I'll talk about the darkness and whatever, and then it'll get to, but there's hope kind of thing. That's like the this one is just like fuck you, <laughs> fuck the land of the zombies. Hey, here here's a here's a pres- prescription for all you daddies and mommies. I fuck, I can't remember. You know, it was interesting. We uh, we did this thing maybe about a month ago in group where it was like play one of the songs that means the most to you, whether it was during your addiction, alcoholism, or before, but something that resonates with you, you know, and... uh, I'm listening. I'm going to look up Land of the Zombies. I, uh, it was off of Pink Floyd, The Wall. It was the, uh, the verdict. And the entire room was just like, because it's all about like these judges and parliament and ah, banging that. gaffles because the guy's having feelings. What? You know, they're they're judging him. They're they're passing this judgment on Pink, for, you know, for, for having feelings. I don't remember that. It man, it was it was one of my the, the wall was probably one of my. You greatest, see what psychedelics can do? Yeah, that was probably like one of my greatest tripping albums when I was in high school. Was like I would just put that on. I would watch the movie. I could relate, you know, I could always relate to Pink Floyd, that particular whole thing. Because, like, when you're going through high school and, like, you know, it's even in, as you get older, like, there was that was the one song, Run. He's like, uh, he's like, I want to go home, take off this uniform and leave the show. And it's all about, like, just... Getting out of the matrix, yeah, man. Getting out of the matrix, like, 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 I just wanted to like tear this fucking mask off because I hate you, fucks, and like, I just need to be around my own people. Yeah, you know, like he's been putting on this facade, and like he can no longer live this life of like artificial bullshit, mm-hmm. and he just wants to just be free and let his emotions be raw and have feelings and get out of my mind, you yeah. know. And that's that's what it does. It takes you straight out of your mind into this this place that and I'm look I'm speaking from my experience and I did enough to go there right because the the first time I tried the the DMT I did enough to feel funny you know I because I was scared I didn't really know what it was gonna do so I was scared of this thing that I heard can just take me somewhere and maybe I don't want to go so there's all these things so I did enough I'm like oh I'm going somewhere I'm going somewhere. But I'm still conscious. And then when I took it in, gone. Mike Tyson was on Joe Rogan too, and he was talking about his uh, experience with DMT. He's like, and I'm I'm sitting there, and at first I'm like, no, no, no. And I'm looking at the guy going, get me off this. Stop this shit right now. And the guy's like, you got to go for the ride. And he's like, I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that that's that's what – I think that's what life can be. You it know, changed. Not, it changed Mike. A lot. You listen to that guy talk, and you know what a killer yeah. he was back in the day, yeah. and how peaceful he's like. And the thing is, you don't. It's not something you're going to continuously go back to because there's no benefit to it. The right. benefit is in the veil piercing. So you get to the other side, or the truth, which is what it felt like to me. And anybody can argue this, and they all have their own experience. But you get to the truth. You can't deny the truth anymore. Your life begins to change. It yeah. takes on a new meaning. Things, it's not so serious over here. You know, we take things so fucking serious, like traffic and needing to be there in five, ten minutes. And it, it's it's not that serious. We I, abuse ourselves. I think, I think it's humans. <clears throat> they have the ability to put massive amounts of pressure on ourselves. Um, I, I was We had a mastermind last night, and I, I was talking about a quote that I love. And I don't know who said it, where it comes from, maybe multiple people. But if somebody talked to you the way you talk to you, how long would that person be in your life? Dude, I would have no friends. You know what I'm saying? I would have no friends. That, so we no do, one would ever want to go out to dinner with me. No one would want to work out with me. I wouldn't. And we don't talk to other people like that. We just no. talk to ourselves like that. And that's all up here. And I think if I treated myself with the same love and compassion as I treat other human beings, like. I don't know. I, it might be Jesus. It, it, it would be different. It, I would be different. But like I put pressure on myself, and so do start, I. You know, because like I want to be, you know, and and I don't ever want to feel. I think the pressure is like so that I'm not ever seen as incompetent. 
Right, and and that's that yeah. goes back to that's down there in the amygdala. It's that fear base. I, I guess in summation, again, disclaimer: just speaking of our own experience, and now that that uh, medical science is starting to embrace this, I think it's it's going to be a topic that's discussed. And too many people have done it and experienced it now in a deep, meaningful way for it to be bullshit. So I think it's it's things it's something that we'll revisit. Maybe we'll get some some guests in here that that can take us you know yeah. take us on a a, a deeper journey. Um, I, it's a highly interesting subject. I know personally what it did for me. I also know that there's a danger to it if your mind's not in the right place. But if something exists out there that again, therapists for years and years and years of my life could not lead me to the breakthrough that, that, that ketamine experience did shattered everything. All that I thought I was, was shattered in an instant. And that's not to say I changed immediately because I'm still on the path of discovery, but at least it pushed me there. And there was no amount of yap, yap, yap yeah. that could do it for me. What do you have to say in summation? All I have We're to say one is uh, if any of you guys watch this uh, podcast and have questions, uh, David Olson's got a lot of information on it. There's a lot of information on microdosing and stuff. So don't jump the gun, you know. Um, but uh, I'm glad we had this, uh, we brought this subject to light. And, uh, you know, just um, remember to continue to work on yourself. You know, it's um, breaking away the, the bricks to being my true self and my spiritual self um, is really the essence of, of what my higher power wants. Touche. Then it's the human condition.